Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 385. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. As I mentioned, my name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I hope you are having an outstanding day. Yes, even in the middle of a pandemic, you can still have outstanding days. And I hope our guest today brings you a little bit of joy and a little bit of encouragement and motivation that no matter what, you can still accomplish your goals, your dreams of becoming a physician. Our guest today took the MCAT six times. Our guest today applied to medical school four times. Our guest today never gave up. She clawed her way, she fought her way to finally get a medical school acceptance. So with that said, let's go ahead and welcome Taylor. Taylor, welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to dive into your story after receiving your email. I knew you were the perfect person to come on the podcast to share your struggles, share your success. Let's first get the number out of the way. How many times have you applied to medical school? Four. How many times have you taken the MCAT? Six. <laughs> are, are there any other big numbers that we should throw out there just to get them off, off our chest? Um, 12 interviews. 12 interviews. Awesome. 12 interviews and now at least two acceptances as we're yeah. recording this. Amazing four application cycles. It was funny, but when I was getting ready to call you, all I could think about rereading your email was LeBron James when he went to the Miami Heat. He's like, not one, not two, <laughs> not three, right? But this is that's those aren't the numbers that you want to be counting in, in this game. Um, we, we want everything to just be one and done, but yes. um, you persevered. You uh, are successful now at this point. So I'm excited to dive into your story. Let's start with when you first realized you wanted to be a physician. Baby Taylor. 
I always had a high health literacy because my parents are in healthcare. Um, my mom's a doctor and my dad's a nurse. Yeah. And um, I just remember watching the Discovery Health Channel and watching all the medical procedures and the autopsies. And I just thought it was so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then when I was uh, maybe six or seven, um, I was playing at my grandma's house in rural North Carolina where my dad is from. And we were at, at her neighbor's yard and we were playing and all of a sudden um, the neighbor comes out and she's like, help, 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 help. My mom's not breathing. And I just remember knowing what my parents did and knowing what I'd seen on TV, like got to call my dad, like he can maybe fix her. And so um, he called wait, me. Wait, wait, pa- pause for one second. I got to call my dad. Right. Did, you said your yeah. mom, your mom's a doctor, your dad's a nurse. Yeah. But, Very interesting. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, because my dad, I just grew up knowing he could fix anything. Yeah. It's a very and, typical dad's fix everything. Yeah. And <laughs> obviously, like, my mom knew how to do CPR, but because I knew, my dad's background, he was in the Air Force. Okay. Go Air Force. And he works in the, uh, he's working in ER. So, okay. Like, okay. He would know, like, exactly he's, what to do. He knows what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not bashing the nurses. They know what to do, too. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, he called EMS and then he started doing CPR. But because the community is super rural, I knew it was going to take a while for them to get there. And they have little EMS stations, but they're not um, they're not fully stopped in terms of medical professionals. Yeah. And the closest hospital is 20 miles away. Mm. So I just remember watching him doing CPR and I was like, she's not going to make it. Like, there's no way. How old are you and at this point? I think it was six or seven, so like second grade. And I was standing there and I thought, oh my gosh, like this is so cool. Like I want to do that. But at the same time, time, I also had this sinking feeling that there's no way. I just knew she wasn't going to make it. Yeah. And the um, EMTs came or paramedics came and um, they worked on her. And then um, they told her that she didn't make it. And like, her scream, like I'll never forget the scream I heard after that because she lost her mom so suddenly and it, it was unexpected. She didn't have time to prepare. Yeah. And um it didn't really bother me at that age because I didn't really understand death. Like I knew what it was, but I wasn't at the age to really conceptualize what it meant. Yeah. I just remember thinking, oh, that's so cool. Like I wanna <laughs> use what I saw on Discovery Health Channel to help people and my mom's from inner city Baltimore and my dad's from rural community. So, and those different kind of um, demographics, I just saw a lot of disease burden and Southeast like has a lot of historical issues. And um, I just wanted to do what I could to not only help my community, but communities like mine um, and address disease burden and, and accessibility to healthcare. So that was like my, my aha moment yeah. for medicine. So relatively young, um, uh, obviously exposed to healthcare early on with both parents in the healthcare field. At any point in your journey, did you second guess going into medicine? Did you question doctor versus dentist versus physical therapy versus nerd? Like, did you, did you question anything along the way? It was always, always, always medicine. And I thought dentistry is, was fascinating and I still love dentistry and I think sometimes people underestimate the importance of dental hygiene and how it could kind of lead to other systemic health issues. 
but I just couldn't see myself like only localized to this one area, like the face and whatnot. And during my gazillion trillion trials (laughs) and taking this exam, like that kind of made me think, okay, this exam is just knocking me down. Maybe I should consider. And when, when you talk about this exam, I'm assuming you're talking about the six times you took the MCAT. Yes, that lovely <laughs> That lovely, thank you, AMC, for that lovely gift <laughs> that you've given the world. <laughs> and then when I, I did shadow a dentist, and he's amazing, mm-hmm. um, I just couldn't see myself doing it. And I'm also not a quitter, and I just didn't feel good about letting something go that I'd worked so hard for and allowing an exam to stop me from something yeah. I've worked towards for the past. I don't know, 25 years or so. Did you ever peek at the DAT to see like, would I do well on this versus the MCAT? I did. Yeah. And I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> I, I know the MCAT, it's problematic, but I, I know how it works. And with the DAT, it's very different. And It's a lot of conceptual I, stuff on the DAT, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And there, it, some of the questions I ask, I was like, they're not ever going to ask that <laughs> on the MCAT ever. <laughs> Because it's not important. Okay. It's not important. Yeah. So let's let's go to undergrad choice, major choice, Mm -hmm. knowing that you wanted to be a physician. What what were those choices and and did you regret those choices? Would you have done anything different looking back on your journey now? So the reason thing is um eighteen year old Taylor, she really wanted to go to UCLA or Berkeley. I don't know why. I just had this fascination (laughs) with wanting to go to school in California. And my parents were like, no, Taylor, you're not going to school there. And I like fought them on it. But at the same time, I kind of started to understand the importance of like what school you end up going to. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go to Duke University because um, in the South, football and basketball, it's it's important. (laughs) And um, like I couldn't go to a school that didn't have a D1 sports team. So I ended up going there because eighth grade Taylor wanted to go to Duke and um, I knew they had a really good pre-med curriculum. It was going to be difficult and being an underrepresented woman of color, I thought it would help me going to a prestigious university mm-hmm. and college was hard, not because I wasn't prepared for it. It was more along the lines that it wasn't what I expected and that I took a lot of AP classes in high school and I thought, oh yes, college is going to be just like this. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> and like the first two years, it was horrible. Like, In, in what was, way? Just the, the amount of studying, the lack of organization and like, here's the syllabus. It's all up to you to go do it all. Or what, what was it? It, it was that... I, okay, two things. Um, As a person of color, I didn't want to make it seem like I knew less than my peers and I didn't want to ask for help. And I also thought that was a sign of weakness. And then I I was the type of person that just wanted to figure things out herself. Mm. And that was detrimental because I was struggling so much trying to, especially in calculus, like I was struggling so much in that class and I thought, it's okay. Like, I'll just read the book. I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then it just got to the point where I was in over my head and eventually, and I was taking certain prereqs that I should not have taken together. 
and um end of a sophomore year I was really questioning you know am I going to be a doctor like this whole academic thing it's I don't, I don't know anymore mm. and one of my classmates had told me about SMDP and I think it has a different name now but back then it was the summer medical oh yeah. I have it's SHPEP um, now yeah and before it was summer medical dental education program yep and um, he had done the one at EVA, and so I applied, and I had gotten into the program, and it was so, 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 so inspiring. What was your goal and, in going to that? Was it just to kind of restart and and kind of just refresh your memory as to why you wanted to do this or make sure that you wanted to do this? Yes, and just being in that kind of environment around people who believe in you and uplift you okay. and connecting with students who they were in med school then, but they had struggled academically too, and they're doing fine now. Mm-hmm. And the they had a lot of clinical opportunities in there as well. And hearing from different clinicians, it was so empowering and exciting. I was like, all right, I can do this. I need to be okay with asking for help. I need to kind of figure out my path for junior and senior year and go from there. And after that point, my GPA did get significantly better, but it wasn't enough which we'll get to later but after college was over um it was what you what did you finish college with gpa wise do you know 3.07 okay so not horrendous but not great right and it sounds like an upward trend yeah and the thing what would have saved me is that i had uh how many ap credits i had some ap credits Especially okay. for math that I could have used, and math was like my weakest subject. But my dean, she wasn't exactly supportive of students of color, and she wanted to help students she know for sure was were going to like get into med school, and uh, and then like our interactions, it was kind of like um, I remember she told me that. I should consider other healthcare options because yeah. I wasn't going to get into med school. Yeah. And I was like, just not supportive. Well, right. And that like exacerbated how I was feeling about myself. Yeah. And so had I had a supportive dean and had I known I could have used those credits, my GPA would have been much better those first two years. Okay. But I'm, I'm glad like I struggled so much those two years because mm-hmm. it made me a better person. And I learned how to get myself out of that academic black hole. Yeah. So you, you, you're at Duke, you go to this, uh, what's now called the summer health, uh, professions. Well, I just said it S H P E P. Um, the, the summer health professions education program, uh, Mm -hmm. you kind of get reignited with your desire, your passion, you, you change your study habits, you figure it out, you have an upward trend. Did you apply to medical school at that point going, ah, just give it a shot. Let me see. So after when I graduated, I graduated in fall 20 or sorry, um, May 2014. Mm-hmm. And I decided to apply for fall 2015. And in hindsight, like I should not have applied to med school at that point. But even if someone had told me don't do it, I would. Have <laughs> you would have done it. Yeah. <laughs> because I was really so focused on the goal. Yeah. But me as a person wasn't prepared. Like I thought I was ready 
but I wasn't ready like academically and experience wise. Let's talk about those experiences. So you're, you're at Duke, you're struggling with your classes. (laughs) You're like, I graduated time to apply to medical school. Had you been shadowing and getting clinical experience and all that? Or you're like, Hey, I watched TV shows when I was younger. I know that this is what I want to do. It was more like I was, I wasn't confident in myself Mm -hmm. because all I could think about was my GPA and not so great first MCAT. And I had the right clinical experience. I just didn't know how to talk about it. And so, um, and then also maturity. I wasn't unmature, but just knowing, and I also had never like struggled. Like obviously I struggled academically, but I hadn't had like life struggles before. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I'm just kind of naive. (laughs) <laughs> and I was just used to being in this like college bubble and I was like, Oh, everything's going to work out. It'll be yeah. fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. And I didn't really fully consider the magnitude of like applying to med school mm-hmm. at that time. And I applied to um, 25 MD schools and I got two interviews. And back then I was a South Carolina resident. And so um, I got, I ended up getting waitlisted at one school and then I was rejected at one school and I never got off the waitlist, which I was really happy about because, um, I had started applying to postbacks and I had got into one and I was like, you know what? I'm, I had come to terms with that. I wasn't ready academically to go to med school and I wanted to use this opportunity to prove to myself and to admissions communities that yeah. yes, I can do well in upper level science classes and do well on this exam. Okay, so let's 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 pause for a second. So you you graduate Duke with a three oh seven something mm-hmm. GPA. You take mm-hmm. the MCAT. What was your first MCAT score? Do you know? It was uh I took it in June twenty fourteen and it okay. was a twenty four. A twenty four? Mm-hmm. Okay, so twenty four in today's day and age is probably a four ninety seven ish maybe. Yeah. Um, off the top of my head. Um, so again, not a great MCAT score, not a 485. Um, so it's, it's one of those like, ah, what do we do? And, and looking at, right. I I don't want to put you in a bucket, but looking at the averages for Hispanics, for African American, for, for underrepresented students, their scores are much less. So, and and that's right around the scores for African American students, if I remember correctly. So, um, so you got two interviews. Awesome. What do you think happened at those interviews that you didn't get acceptances? So I also took my second score was in August 2015. And I had submitted, I also applied late too. Okay. So I submitted um, primary, I think early August, something like that. Okay. Um, and that score was a 23. Okay. And um, with the interviews, I... I mean, I prepared for them, but I didn't really prepare as I should have. Yeah. Like there's just that night, 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 whatever that word is being naive, right. Uh, yeah. Of like, oh, it'll work out. Like I, I'm, <laughs> I can talk with people. I'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't really know how to like articulate my experiences yep. in the best manner. And I was also feeling bad about myself because 
um, a lot of my friends, like they were starting med school mm. right then. And here I am, not so great GPA, not so great MCAT. And like, that's all I thought, like for the past, that was 2014, like the past five, six years, that's all I saw myself was as an MCAT score to GPA. And like going into the interviews, it's like, okay, well, my MCAT's low. My GPA is like, okay, why are you interviewing me to reject me? Yeah. And having that attitude negative like of course they're not going to accept someone who's not confident in themselves so let me let me ask you a, a question uh do you and I, I don't mean this disrespectfully did did you think that they were like pity interviews kind of well actually one of them one of the schools my mom used to work at so that helped in my favor okay. but i also thought because I was in state, yeah. In comparison to out of state, the academic um, requirements are a little bit lower. Yeah. But I, I thought that I had a good story, and okay. my at the time, like my uh, personal statement and my activities were real, they were decently written, okay. and those got me the interviews. But ultimately, like the interview was like what, what messed me up. Okay. Because I wasn't, I just couldn't articulate my passion for medicine. And stop thinking about myself as just two numbers. Yeah. Okay. And and that's super common um, for for students to go in uh, with that knowing like why am I here? I I'm not I'm not academically qualified. Why are you doing this to yep. me? Um, so yeah, I, I've I've heard all of those voices in my own head, and I've heard them uh, come out of a student's mouth. So that makes sense. So it sounds like you kind of were preparing to do a post back anyway. Uh, and you you went and did a post back. How did you decide what post back to do? Whether it's a, a kind of a, a undergrad type post back versus a master's program? What was that thought process? So I didn't want to retake the prerequisites again because I thought mm, that's not really going to help me. And I already took all of them. Mm-hmm. And what's the point of retaking them? And then I thought I want to take I want to go to a post back where it's like different classes that I haven't taken and their graduate level because then they would be more difficult than undergrad. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be beneficial having like my undergrad um, one row and then like graduate and the second row and see like the difference there. Yep. And of course I could have stayed in, um, <laughs> I could have stayed back home. Um, and things would have been like so set for me financially because my parents had paid for everything. Like I wouldn't have had to worry about that, but I don't know. I was just at the point in my life where I wanted a challenge and I knew challenging myself would make me a better person. And I don't know what I was getting into. Like, I did not know what the future was going to hold, but I was just, I was ready for a new experience. And so I decided to go to post-bac program in Southern California through the uh, Claremont Colleges. Mm. And um, <laughs> that experience. So my, um, my welcome to Southern California was learning that I was going to be living in a house full of people I didn't know. It was five guys. And it was in a low-cum neighborhood because my parents were like, we're not really going to support this. And it's not that they didn't support me going to a post-bac. They just didn't support the fact that or understand, like, why did I need to go across the country to improve myself? And then I had, sit, I had shipped my belongings 
And when I got there, I found out that majority of them were stolen. So that was like my, my opening experience there. <laughs> Welcome. And so I had, <laughs> I had an, an ideal living situation and then my computer died first year. And, um, over winter break, I found out one of the housemates, he overdosed and, um, passed. And I remember telling my dad that I was over it. Like I was over my living situation. I was over this whole MCAT thing. Like I'm not going back. And then he told me, he's like, Taylor, you moved out there for a reason. Like you need to see it through. And he said, you're not a quitter. And I was like, I know, I know, but this is so hard. Like, what's the point? And I tried to change my flight to just not go back until like February and it was going to be over a thousand dollars. And I was like, all right, God's telling me something. I got to go back. I got to go back to school. So in spite of all this, like I did do well academically, but the whole MCAT thing was always a weight over me. Yeah. And let's talk about that. Why, why do you think the MCAT was obviously the MCAT's the MCAT, (laughs) but, but why for you, do you think you struggled so much with it? Because it was, it was not the exam. Part of it was the exam, like kind of navigating how to answer those questions. And the other part is me. It was how I thought about it because the first time, two times I took it, it was like, my GPA is not so great. I need to really do well on this exam. So I was obsessed with the exam and I had been obsessed with the exam for uh, like four years or so. Mm. And obviously, yeah, it's just a test, but it's a really important exam. And I knew med schools, they looked at that because of step one, all that jazz. And I just had so much anxiety around the exam and obviously like doing practice exams, that was fine. But the actual exam itself, like I blinked. Yeah. And so, so practice exam. So going into the test, you, you thought you were prepared. You were getting the, the scores that you wanted or needed, Right. but then come test day, everything went, went kaput. Because it's like, it's do or die. Like, and my personality, it's very black and white. There's no gray area. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was just, I had already, I I had already had anxiety. Didn't really think it was a problem, but this exam, like took it to a whole nother level. And I was being a hindrance to myself. Like I was my own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's how it was like the third time I took it 495 fourth time I took it 499 fifth time I took it 501 and then after the fifth time I took it um I thought what am I gonna do like I don't think I want to go to dental school I just really can't give up on this whole med school thing like what am I gonna do so I took a break from the whole MCAT thing took a break from applying and just kind of thought like do I get a new job like what do I do Yeah. and then I also realized that I need to address my anxiety because it was feeding into other avenues of my life not only to this test but just like different aspects of my life. So I started going to a therapist and let me tell you, therapy (laughs) is like 
so <laughs> insightful and helpful. And initially, I was opposed to it. And I had two people before um, when I was struggling with MCAT in grad mm-hmm. school, they had told me to start going to a therapist. And I was like, nah, I don't need this. <laughs> Not like, for me. I'm good. Wrong with me. Yeah. There was a lot of things wrong with me. And and I also came across across a quote that said, um, yeah, and, and well, let me let me let me correct you just a, a little bit of language correction there. There was nothing wrong with you. There were just some things that weren't working well. Yeah, and I, I'd always been a very um, I was always hard on myself. Like yeah. that's just how I was, and when I didn't achieve a goal I wanted, it was like, wow, I'm a bad person. Like I'm a failure and having those kind of self depreciating thoughts and feelings going on wasn't going to help me. (laughs) They don't don't help. Yeah. It just, I was, I was failing myself. And after the fifth time I was on Buzzfeed, I was reading some articles and I came across, across this quote that said, doubt kills more dreams and failure ever will. Mm. And I'd always doubted myself. And obviously, like, I, I'm qualified to get into med school, be a physician, but I didn't feel that I, I didn't believe in myself. And after that, um, I took a break from June 2018 until October 2018 to kind of really think, is this what I wanted to do? And if so, I need to figure out this MCAT prepare, preparation situation and also start doing more clinical experience. Yeah. And I found I had two study buddies and <laughs> having two or having even just one person to do questions with so impactful like I yeah. wish I would have known about that years ago and then I also started volunteering at a community health clinic and so being in there I was like okay yes you can do this like your score may not be what you want it to be but it is what it is you're just gonna have to move on from that mm-hmm. So I took it again last final time. I told myself <laughs> this sixth time, it's the last time. And whatever happens, happens. We're just we're just going to apply. Yeah. And what'd you get I the did. last time? Five oh four. Five oh four. So between the twenty-three that I think you said you started with and mm-hmm. the five oh four what were you using to prepare in terms of tutors, courses? What what was that process like? So thankfully, my um, postdoc program, it's applied life sciences. So because I had already taken the prerequisite classes, it was like the applications of that, including like technology, different um, assays, things of that nature, which were on the exam. And so um, that the content of my grad program helped with that and in grad school we had Princeton review but Princeton review was like super content heavy and it's like I don't need this information like I need to figure out how strategies like how do I take this exam so um after doing Princeton review my score was 495 and I had applied for fall 2017 um that summer summer 2016 got two the same two interviews and um, I thought, okay, um, my GP is better after one year of grad school, you know, maybe, maybe I'll get an acceptance. And at that point I was just desperate to go to school. Like I didn't really care anything about the school, like student support or anything. I just, I just wanted to get in, went to those two interviews and was not really confident. And I had done interview prep, but I 
I just wasn't confident in myself. So didn't get into those two schools. And I remember my advisor told me, she's like, Taylor, if you have time to worry about not getting into med school, then you have time to worry about taking the MCAT again. So uh, I did a next step with um, my tutor, Alex Starks. Alex, if you're listening, shout out. Yeah, he was really like he really made me understand the exam yeah and that helped but i wasn't confident so of course my score isn't gonna be good so the fourth time i took it it was 499 okay and the fifth time it was 501 so and those all those times like it was not the exam like i had prepared for it i had gone over my questions figured out why this question was wrong why it was right like i had done that part it was just like the anxiety of taking the exam and then the anxiety of like the, the anxiety thinking about taking the exam and the anxiety of taking the exam itself. Like I just, I, I couldn't get over it. Yeah. And the last time I thought it is what it is. Like, we're just going to take it, you know, we'll just go from there. And at that time I uh, had started listening to your podcast. Um, spring 2018. <laughs> and what took I you so long? Because <laughs> oh, what had happened was, I had next step and her it was like blue something. You guys had done this um collaboration mm. and um that's when I heard about you. Okay. I don't know where I think my head was just in the clouds, like I don't know. But yes, it okay. took me a very long time to find you. Yep. And once I did, I was like, I am hooked. <laughs> like I have all your, all your podcast, like the different series on Spotify, like I was hooked. And I remember when I got my score back, I was like, oh, not what I wanted, but we're just going to move forward from there. And I listened to your podcast with students who had overcome obstacles and um, multiple cycles and whatnot. And I remember you had said, you need to have a good enough GPA, a good enough MCAT score, but it's not the end of everything. Like, you need to also have a good story and a personality. So that's kind of gave me confidence and I had also started doing um I, I wanted to one of my goals even though I didn't know how the second was going to go was understanding the social side of medicine mm-hmm. so I started doing different volunteer work with vulnerable populations and I started working with um incarcerated populations and DV survivors and understanding medicine in that aspect it was super impactful and, and enlightening and I was able to incorporate that in my um, secondaries. Awesome. So yeah. what was it like going on your umpteenth interview and finally getting that email or phone call that you had an acceptance? So first, my very first interview was, or I should say my first interview invite was Arizona. Okay. And, For this last cycle. Um, yeah. Okay. For twenty fall twenty twenty. Okay. My first invite was Arizona and I was like, Oh my gosh, yes. And my second one was Quinnipiac. Third invite was Morehouse. Fourth was Eustis. Fifth, Michigan State. Sixth, University of South Carolina. <laughs> Seventh. <laughs> Like I said, uh, not one, not two, not three. <laughs> seventh was East 
Western Virginia. Yeah, and then eighth, Wayne State, nine, UCR, and then 10, New York Medical College. So when they started coming in, I was like, you know what? He was right. <laughs> like, MCAT, GPA, you need to have good enough, but your story is what matters. Yeah. And my um, one of my student workers at the office, he had like a really high um, really high MCAT score, but he'd only gotten three interviews and he was waitlisted at all those schools. And I was like, you know what? having personality, having good story and like overcoming obstacles, like that's really impactful. And, um, having confidence going into interview and knowing that my GPA and MCAT at that point, like was irrelevant. I never experienced that before. And like walking in there, knowing that I belonged was so, empowering and my first interview was Quinnipiac. Yeah. And um So let me let me I, let me clarify just just so I understand what you're trying to tell me. So are are you saying because of the podcast hearing how important your story is, how it's not just stats, that gave you the confidence to to walk into the interview knowing that those aren't an issue, stop thinking about them and just be yourself? Is that what you're saying? That and I realized that if anyone was going to leave in me, I had to leave in myself first. Perfect. And no yeah. one wants an unconfident or a nervous <laughs> or an anxious position. Like, yep. I don't want you touching me. Like, if you <laughs> aren't sure about what you're doing. Yep. And knowing that, I thought I have to be confident. I have to believe in myself because we need more people of color in medicine. And I'm failing myself by not. My, I'm feeling myself in my community by not putting my best foot forward yep. and having confidence and like being myself and my first interview ugh, was so amazing. And I had gotten my first acceptance November 18th because I, I got the email. I was reading, I had just woken up. I was about to go to work, read it on my phone. I was like, and I had saw like admissions and the update folder on my email. And I was like, dang, it's probably rejection. <laughs> uh, so I, I read it and I was like, what? And then I read it again. I was like, oh yes, I was going to med school finally. <laughs> I was so excited. And then that same week I had gone to um, the domestic violence shelter that I volunteer at. And I had gone on a different day than what I usually go to. And I had met um, one of the volunteers. He teaches anatomy at Western University in Pomona. And um, he was asking me about myself. I gave him like a super brief overview of like the life and times of Taylor. And he's like, oh, well, did you apply to, uh, did you apply to Western? I was like, no, like I heard it's kind of a competitive. And he's like, are you sure? Like we're still accepting applications. And I interview students and I'm so tired of hearing and, and talking to students who haven't come any, overcome any obstacles live really close to Pomona in Southern California, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And he's like, if you want, I can get you an interview. And I was like, <laughs> thank you. I'm really going to consider it. Let me get back to you. Yeah. But just the fact that I was being my natural self and like not trying to be someone else and just sharing my story. The fact that dad could have gotten me an interview, like that's amazing. Like I'm really proud of myself forgetting yeah becoming confident and seeing 
life outside of an exam. Yeah, that's awesome. For the student out there listening to this who may be in their second application cycle, third application cycle, third or fourth MCAT, what words of wisdom do you have for them to to help them overcome all of the obstacles now that you have overcome them? Advice uh, piece number one, um, don't be afraid to fail. Like failure is in the moment, it, you don't feel good. Like it, it doesn't feel good to be failure or experience challenges that you think you can't overcome. Mm-hmm. And if it makes them feel any better, um, it took me six years to get into med school and six years of having the MCAT hanging over my head, not being able to enjoy Thanksgiving or Christmas or my birthday because that I was always preparing and obsessed with that exam. And to just know that sometimes failure presents opportunities and experiences that you otherwise wouldn't have experienced mm-hmm. had you not failed. And I'm just so grateful that I experienced all this, even in the moment it was very trying and it made me question myself and my motivation but just know that your community needs you healthcare needs you and to keep yourself going and secondly learn to have an identity outside of medicine Mm -hmm. and fall in love with yourself my one of my interviewers at wayne state um oh he's so amazing he was he's in neuroradiology he was in the peak of his life Um, no risk factors at all. And he ended up having a clot in his carotid and he had a stroke Mm. and he can't practice medicine anymore because his cognitive function is a little bit impacted, but he still wants to be engaged in the medical community and whatnot. So he interviews and he made a really, he's doing really well for only having had a stroke a year and a half ago and he can walk a little bit, but just like, having that kind of experience and knowing that something you work so hard to achieve and it's taken away from you, like, who are you outside of that? And that's something that I always struggled with. Like, who am I outside of medicine? Who am I outside of the MCAT? So I obviously like it's an ongoing battle to trying to figure yourself out, but being okay with who you are, not being a doctor, like if that were to be taken away, is super important and to just encourage them to keep doing hobbies or sports or anything that they love and fall in love with yourself because that's who you're stuck with at the end of the day. And I want to circle back. Usually I'll end the conversation there, but I want to circle back to something you said very early on that I think a lot of students probably heard and I heard as well, uh, but I didn't ask it earlier. You mentioned not telling your extracurriculars properly, uh, properly, not the the language that I use is not reflecting on them properly to talk about them. How did you flip that switch and and what did that look like? So before, for this, um, last cycle, I did a lot of reflection preparation and I remember I, I interviewed my mom and then my dad's sister to get their different perspectives on healthcare and urban environment and then rural environment. Cause like I, I, I knew it, but I didn't know everything because I was younger. And so I, I reflected on that and then just putting it in a different context. So for example, 
um, working in the community health center, it's like, okay, yes, you know, you're working with um, people of underserved backgrounds and whatnot, but what else are you doing? So in that aspect, it was like a large Latinx population and a lot of them are undocumented. So I was able to talk about the challenges that they have in terms of income, language barrier, how that affects them trying to seek care or um, the physical and social determinants of health and incorporating those components into each activity. That's what I did differently. Yeah. So much more reflection thinking about everything you're doing. Good. Versus I'm assuming what most students do maybe is what you did at the beginning was just a lot of, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Yeah. Yeah. Show, don't tell. (laughs) Show, don't tell. Where have I heard that before? (sighs) Well, awesome. Taylor, I'm so excited uh, for your success, for your future journey. Uh, Obviously, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So all hands on deck moving forward and, and students can see right now what it truly is like to be a physician's uh, be a physician on the front lines and yeah. and students who are still on this path and still want to do this uh, your your eyes are open so thank you for for coming on this journey and uh, sharing your journey with us of course stay tuned to where i end up i really don't know where i'm going but wherever it is i'm just really excited and unfortunately covid um, we may not have white coat which i'm really sad about because I've been looking forward to that for six years <laughs> and obviously maybe they'll have like an in-person ceremony later yeah. I'm just aside from all that like to be going to school med school I'm just so happy and grateful and <sighs> I want, so I want to ask you one more question, <laughs> right? I should have ended the interview by now, but I want to ask one more question because <laughs> again, it came up earlier and I did, I didn't, I never asked it. Do you think having your mom, who's a physician, having your dad, who's a nurse, having them in healthcare, do you think that puts you at a disadvantage to try to tell your story even better to overcome the, oh, she's just the daughter of healthcare workers? Yes. So my second cycle applying that did come up, but I didn't know how to talk about it Mm -hmm. and articulate that my journey had nothing to do with my parents. Yeah. And I had gotten kind of defensive with her and I had read (laughs) in your book, like don't ever get defensive with interviewers because you're going to lose. And so obviously like I didn't get into that school and I, I mean, yes, I'm grateful to have parents in healthcare because I've learned a lot from them, but it's not my, it was never my motivation going to med school and if anything, or or going into medicine, if anything, it should have made me not want to (laughs) go because like the lifestyle is hard, like it's difficult. And, um, it never, like after that interview, it never came up ever again because they could clearly see like my journey is completely different than my parents and to be honest they don't really have anything to do with this yeah so never an issue anymore and if if they were like leaning along that question i would say you know um yes my parents are in healthcare, and it was inspiring to see them build their careers and whatnot but my motivation stems from like my experiences and what i saw growing up and how 
healthcare system needs to be revamped and become more just for others. Yeah. And and that's the perfect, right? Uh, students who need to overcome the fact that their parents are in healthcare typically don't have the experiences to show the school, look, this is this is my journey. These are my experiences and not just like, oh, look, I have a 4.0 and a 520. You should accept me because my mom's a doctor too. Um, so that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you again for sharing your story. Congrats. And I'm excited hey. to follow you on your journey. Thank you. All right. So there you have it. Again, Taylor sharing her story of fighting her way to get into medical school, doing what she needed to do to get in to medical school, never giving up to get in to medical school. And I hope that is you right now and in the future. I hope you have a great week. Keep fighting. Keep staying safe. I love you all. See you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.